0: You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. confront us in our sin, to, to say, hang on a minute, brother. I know you say Christ is Lord, but it seems this, this part of your life is, is subjected to a different authority, a different king. And as, as we are confronted in our sin in community, and, and if you're new to Sacred City, that might sound like a scary thing, to be caught in your sin, but here's the deal. Whenever God grants us the ability to see our own sin, that means the next step that he has entailed for us, it is the step of repentance. And with repentance comes times of refreshing because once again, we are reminded, not just in, at the beginning of our, our faith life with Christ, not just in, in our conversion, where we're reminded of the grace of God, but we see how the grace of God covers our entirety of our life. That every single sin, when we repent of it, when we turn away from that and turn to Christ, God has grace for us. And the more that we experience God's loving kindness and His grace, the more we change. It's, it's like when Jesus says, the one who's forgiven little loves little, the one who's forgiven of much loves much. The, the more we see and experience and receive God's grace, the more it, it frees us, the more, more joyful we are to run to God in repentance. Now there's something powerful, something powerful about a community that drops all the pretenses, that stops posturing and pretending like we have it all together, that our life is just nice and, you know, picturesque. And we can really acknowledge that, man, every one of us is broken. Every one of us deals with temptations and trials. And to come to a place where I can drop that down and say, hey, I need help. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I need accountability. And that community, instead of uh, demonizing or or sort of of, uh, just casting that person out, says, we love you. We're gonna walk with you through this. We're gonna carry you in the times where your feet can hardly move. There's something powerful about a community like that, and that is a catalyst for change. For transformation. And the more the community does that, the more we, we see this pattern of, of repentance and faith and joy and restoration and refreshing, the more other people are drawn into that. And so one of the things that I think, you know, if, if we're looking at the new year and saying, hey, here's what I want to change, or here's what I want to be different, really what, what the question should be is, what do I need to repent of this year? What, what do I need to turn away from? What is something that is, is pulling me away to a, a less than life than Jesus has, uh, has purchased for me? If we're going to be about transformative discipleship, it begins with each one of us taking a responsibility for ourselves, for my own discipleship. Here's where I need to grow. Here's what I must turn away from and turn to Christ in. And so I wanna ask you this question on, on the cusp of a new year. What are you sensing the Holy Spirit wanting to do in your life? What kind of gospel change do you think God is intending to bring? Now, it's, you might think of one thing, and that's good. It's good to be mindful of that because I don't think anybody just falls into or stumbles into gospel transformation. I think, I think we, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And you might think of what that thing is, and, and God may have completely different plans, but at least you're thinking about it. Where is that place where God is intending to do a work in you, to bring, bring transformation, to bring renewal? Is it in your marriage? Maybe you've gotten used to just sort of doing the roommate game. And God says, like, that's not, that's not what I have in mind for biblical marriage. What I have in mind is union, loving union, a covenant relationship, and, and there's clear parameters. Husbands, you're called to lead your wives. Maybe husbands, this is a time for you to, to stop your apathetic ways, to stop your resignation, to stop sort of like letting go and, and start to initiate and engage in leading your wife well wives. The scriptures are clear. You are called to submit to your husbands in submission to Christ. Now, so many marriages, I think like if you, if you were to just zoom out and see what the problem with, with marriage today is, one, you have people who are not fixed on Christ, so that's always going to be a problem. But even those who, who say we love Christ, it comes down to this, these, these two things, understanding God's plan, God's dynamics for marriage. And so one of the things this year we wanna help you in is we're gonna host, actually we're not hosting it, Sacred City, Iowa is hosting a marriage conference in February. We're bringing uh, one of our, our pastor friends from Ohio over, just wrote a great book. And we're gonna help you work through that. Maybe that's where you need to start doing the work. Maybe it's in the parental realm. Maybe it's time to be a little more dialed into the sort of the thing, the content that your children are consuming to be more proactive with family discipleship and family worship. Maybe it's taking a more hands-on approach with with curating your child to become the kind of man or woman that God is calling them to be. Maybe it's in your own life. Maybe God, and I think this is true of all of us to some degree, but maybe it's, it's very clear that this is where it's at. Maybe it's a need to grow in virtue to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe it's time for you to get your finances ordered, to exercise dominion over the financial realm of your life, to become a good steward, to bring the full tithe into God's house. Maybe it's time to step up in missional community life you've been around for a while, you've been participating, maybe it's time to step into some sort of leadership, taking responsibility over some dimension of your mission. Now these are all suggestions, these are all things that I say, like if you work out this idea of transformative discipleship, here here are really clear places where God intends to get to work. And it's not just a new year that provides opportunity to kind of re-examine these things, it's every day. God has new mercies for us every day to look and say, God, what what would you have for us? What do you want of me? So that's the first hope for this year, transformative discipleship. The second hope is to see this year become the most fruitful year of evangelism. As I look through the, the past several years, Um, One of the things that I've, we've seen a lot of people come into Sacred City Church and and spend time here at at this church, and we're grateful for the time that God has has allowed people to be with us and to grow in the gospel and experience community. And whether they move away or or something goes on and, and they have to go somewhere else, one of the things that I'm left desiring is to see somebody make a full cycle of discipleship here at Sacred City Church. And what I mean by that is to see someone come to faith, brand new Christian start living in community together, seeing what the Christian life is all about, start taking responsibility for themselves and the discipleship of other people, stepping into missional community leadership, and then you see them discipling. I have a desire to see that full cycle of discipleship take place, but one of the things that has to happen is to be faithful in evangelism. And as much as I yearn for the sanctification of our church family, I equally Desire to see new people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I, I hope you do too. And I think if you don't have that desire, something is wrong. Because when you, when you believe the gospel, when you know the truth of the gospel, there, there's this desire in us that, that what God did for me, he can do for other people. And we want that. That desire should increasingly burn within us. Now, this is, this is one of those things that, again, it's, it's hard to pinpoint just one verse where John talks about evangelism, like go, going out and, and sharing the gospel. But here's the deal. The whole book of John is about evangelism. The whole book is written. The whole, whole thing that he wrote down, his whole gospel account is an evangelistic endeavor for John. He says in John 20, verse 31, he says, I, I've written these things, if I can find it. He says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, none of us are writing gospel accounts. We didn't see Jesus. We can't do that. But one of the things that we can do is we can testify to the work that God has done in our lives. We can testify to the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. This is how we imitate John. If, if, we, if John has a burning desire for others to find life in Jesus' name, we should too. Now, of course, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, we're, we're commanded to go and make disciples. Go herald the gospel. Go proclaim the excellencies of Christ, as Peter says. Now, I think a lot of times Christians, it's distracting me. A lot of times Christians view this as like a checkbox item, a rigid duty. And if this is your mentality when it comes to evangelism, again, I wanna say maybe something's wrong. Maybe you don't fully understand the gospel because evangelism is a natural reaction to the joy that we find in Christ. Telling people about the thing that makes us glad is a natural thing that happens in life. In fact, Leslie Newbegin in his book, uh, The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society, or I forget what the title is, but, but he calls mission. He, he talks about mission. He says that in our hearts, when we believe the gospel, there's this explosion of joy that takes place. Like nothing could be better. Like this is one of the reasons that we're saying at the very beginning, like no matter what comes, No matter hardship, trial, suffering, pain, we have joy in the gospel. And so God creates this explosion of joy in our hearts, (coughs) excuse me, and then that spills out. Spills out into the life of other people. We want others to find the same joy that we have found in Christ. And so, listen, this this is what I think, that, that in order to get to the place to have the most fruitful year of evangelism that we've ever had we as a church must be radically committed to fighting for joy we have to be and and I know my my natural inclination is to be critical and grumbly about whatever comes I just have that I'm kind of a whiner kind of a baby but if If that's always the case, now that's not to say that you're not gonna have hard things that cause suffering and pain and sorrow, but if those things overshadow the joy of Christ, we need to get our eyes fixed on Jesus again, go back to the cross. So we, as a church, must fight for joy like never before, to find more things to praise God about. And from that joy, we evangelize. Now, this brings us to the third hope. My third hope for 2024 is that we would abide in God's word. I mean, this is, this is my hope for everybody, for all of life. But we would abide in God's word. John 15, 7 through 11 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you go to your Bible thinking, if you go to your Bible thinking that it's gonna be a drab, it's gonna be it's gonna be a just a arduous, painful journey through the archaic words of a bunch of old dead people, then you don't understand what you got in your hands. Because the Bible the whole Bible, not just the coffee cup verses, but the whole Bible is geared to stoke your joy so it would become like wildfire. These things I have said to you. He says, I lost my spot, no I didn't. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. See, Jesus has a kind of joy that that matches the amount of his mercy. It's abundant. And Jesus is saying, I've spoken to you, not just here in John 15, but through the whole canon of scripture, that his joy would be in us, and that our joy would be full. See, if you wanna tap into this full joy, that, that comes with the full, abundant life, we cannot just dabble in the Bible on Sunday. Our whole week must be saturated in Scripture. That, that's what it looks like to abide in his word, in his word to abide in us. Because the word of God is a light unto our path. Right now, listen, there are so many loud voices out in our culture that are telling you what to do with your life. And they're all going to bring you to hell. God's word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. It is the way to life. It teaches us how to live, how to enjoy God and what it looks like to live out of this new life that we have found in Jesus Christ. Now over the last few years, one of the things that I I find myself most encouraged about about our church in the last couple years is that we have collectively cranked up our Bible intake. We started this campaign a couple years ago called Feast to Flourish, just a, a daily Bible reading plan. It started out with a chapter a day, one chapter a day. Anybody can read a chapter a day. You're talking three to seven minutes a day. We can do that. I mean, do we, do we really need it to evaluate the social media intake compared to your Bible intake? It would be kind of humiliating. But year one was one chapter a day. This past year was about two chapters a day. We got, we got through most of the Torah. We got through the Psalms, Proverbs, in fact. There's a, there was, you guys, you should go read Proverbs 31 today. That for some reason that got left out of rotation, do it, and then you can finish that. Um, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, we covered a decent amount of ground. But in this year, what I want to call us to is together, read the Bible, the whole Bible in a year. It's a couple chapters a day. You're talking seven to 15 minutes of spending time in the word of God so that we would be shaped by the whole council of scripture and, and not just the fun bits but even the hard bits, the stuff that we wrestle against and in that wrestling we would say to God, not my will but yours be done. T- teach me your ways, the way of life. We cannot afford to not do this. Like, that's how bad we need the word of God in our lives. And as we not only read the word of God, not only become hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word, obedient to our Lord Jesus Christ, this is how we demonstrate our love for God. Our love for God is demonstrate, demonstrated in our obedience to God. And so my, my third hope is that we would abide in the word of God, that his word would abide in us. So that <clears throat> so that every time you sit down in a, a missional community, every time you sit down at Fight Club, every time you call up your, your MC family on the phone to say, hey, here's what I'm going to there, there would not be an empty well, an empty reservoir to draw from, that, that, that well would be stockpiled with words of life. And my fourth hope for us that as we trust and obey God's word as we're committed to honoring the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all things, in all places, at all times in our life, that we would not bristle at opposition. I think that this is something that more and more we need to be aware of as Christians, that there is, there is enmity, there is antithesis. We are at odds with the world that we live in. And for a long time, if you go back a few decades, it seemed like Christians in the world could kinda get along. And more and more, it's becoming glaringly obvious that's no longer the case. In fact, I don't, I don't if you really drilled into it, I, I don't think it ever really was the case. In submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are on a collision course with our culture. You look at the world, the LGBTQIA stuff, and, and you're like, whoa, what's going on there? It's clearly against God's word. How, how we order our families. All of the things that, that we just stand in contrast to the world. If we are not ready for that, if we don't anticipate that, then we're gonna be caught off guard. We're, gonna be, we're going to be tempted to compromise and no longer Christ is Lord of all, but he's Lord of sometimes. And he's not Lord of sometimes. Jesus explicitly warns us of this combative nature between his people and those who are not his people. He says in in John 15, verse eight, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That's comforting. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. We'll come back to that. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, this is a, you have to do a little bit of thinking here because if we want to be evangelistic towards people who do not yet know Christ, yet we have to sort of gear ourselves up for the opposition and understand there is enmity The thing that helps us remain faithful in evangelism while still remaining untarnished from the world is remembering that we were chosen out of the world. That that God in his grace and kindness plucked us out of the world and its ideologies and all of the chaos and all of the destruction. God graciously acted when we were just going with the flow While we were orphans of wrath, God acted in salvation on our behalf. And so in order to to maintain this, like we need to be guarded. We cannot bristle or compromise at opposition. At the same time, we're to be evangelists. We have to understand these dynamics. And the thing that will hold us up through the tension, I think there's a bit of tension there, at least at the first glance, is to remain faithful to the word of God. As soon as we forsake the word of God, we are in for a world of hurt. Because the culture changes. The the culture is just this sliding goalpost. It's just always moving, always moving. And it actually... Specifically, moving further and further away from God. And if we try to appease the culture, we're never going to please God. Our, our conviction must be at all times to please God. And the word of God helps us because the word of God is unchanging. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Therefore, if we want to be enduring, we must be built on the solid rock of Christ and his words. Now, these are the four hopes that I have for us. I, there should be nothing shocking about these things. There, there should be nothing like, whoa, changing trajectory here, changing course. No, not at all. These hopes aren't the sum total of the abundant life of, of, that Jesus comes to bring us. I mean, we could, we could go a thousand different directions with that. Millions of different rabbit trails to go down. But you cannot have the abundant life that Jesus brings without each of these aspects. Without, without giving ourselves a transformative discipleship, not being faithful in evangelism, without building our life on the word of God and abiding in the word of God, and then also remaining faithful under fire. And so it's this these fourth little, I believe the Lord wants to grow us in these things. In fact, Jesus wants us to possess these traits so badly that he laid down his own life for them. In John 10, when he's talking about the thief who, who comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy, keel, it will kill. The thief comes to kill, steal, destroy, but Jesus says, I've come to give them life. Life abundantly. In The very next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, Jesus, Jesus laid down his glorious life. So our small narrow-sided, short-sighted life could be opened up to the glory of God. That, that we could have what Jesus had. And so Jesus wants this for us so badly. He laid down his life so now by the Spirit we can now take up this new life. We can now walk with Christ in these things. He goes with us. And as we go, we can go full of faith and conviction, eager to live, not, not just like a blanket statement for Jesus in 2024, but every day, every minute, devoted to him. Now, I'm, I'm excited for the year ahead. I mean, I don't know what God has, but I'm excited for it. I'm excited even if it's heartache, even if it's trouble, even if it's pain. Because I know it's in those places where God meets us. Now, God also blesses us. And so I'm excited for what God has in store. And I'm praying that God would bless us as a church, that he would grow us in every way, that more and more we'd be sanctified and transformed to look more like his son, to inch closer and closer to to being the bride of Christ, which on the day of Christ will appear in radiant glory because He has washed her by his blood. I'm praying that that life, the life that Christ came to give us, would abound here. That, That when people step into our missional community, step into people's dining rooms, step into Sunday gathering, they say, there's fruit on the vine. There's life here, there's joy here, there's love, that life would abound here. Let's pray, Father, thank you. Thank you for coming and sending your son to bring us life, to bring a life that we ourselves could not create. And God, we ask, I ask this morning that that you would prevent us from having short-sighted hopes for this year. That you would help us to pray big, to dream big, to ask you to move in ways only you can, can move, to do the things only you can do. I pray that this year would be just full of joy. We would see the gospel changing people's lives in, in real time. We pray for more people to come, to hear to, to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to put their faith in him, that they would walk with him all the days of their life right into eternity. God I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word that we would feast to flourish and that you'd strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would we would not compromise but remain faithful and steadfast Jesus we we want to glorify you the world and lose our soul and so we're asking that you would keep us that you would guide us that our hearts our minds be fixed on you, the New Year ahead, every day, and do a good work here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.